It seems like a lot of people are worried and are wondering if we're living in the last days right now. I've been asked this question a lot of times actually recently by lots of different people. And a lot of this is driven by social media, it's driven by bloggers and vloggers who are stoking the fires that it's the end of the world. We have people that are worried that this coronavirus epidemic is a sign of the end of the world. Uh, We have people that are worried that they need to go buy some more toilet paper. Whenever there's a a hurricane or there's a, a bad earthquake in the world, some disaster, I will inevitably be asked, are we living in the end times? To which I will answer, yes. We've been living in the end times since Jesus ascended to be with the Father. Is Jesus coming again soon? Get out your piece of paper and your pencil, I'm gonna tell you. I have no idea, right? The Bible tells us that no one knows the day or the hour. But we are living in the church age, a time of trial, a time of tribulation. We're in the days of pains and of persecutions. We're in the days of false teachers. But through all of it, we can hold on tightly to the promises of God. Because I can assure you that our adversary Satan wants nothing more than for the church of the living God to be scared and to be timid and to be hiding. He doesn't want us to stand firm on the promises of God and to proclaim the glory of God to the ends of the earth. So today, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask that you stand in honor of God's word if you're able and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 3 today as we're continuing our series called On the Mountain. And we're looking at these mountaintop experiences of Jesus. And today he's on the Mount of Olives and the disciples come to him and speak to him about the last days. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3, the word of God says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us. When will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and they'll deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these events are the beginning of labor pains. Then they'll hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is good news of the kingdom, or this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Thank you, you can be seated. 
Today, as we study this passage of scripture, I want us to examine these signs of the last days that Jesus gives to his disciples. And all this is, is prompted by uh, Jesus sitting there on the Mount of Olives, looking over the city of Jerusalem, literally across the valley from the Temple Mount. And he says to them at the beginning of chapter 24, do you see all these things? Not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. He's, he's, he's predicting the destruction of the temple that would happen in 70 AD. And of course, the disciples are like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what's going on. Tell us what the end is going to be like. Tell us what we should be looking for. And Jesus says, the first thing that you ought to be looking for are pains. In verse 3, they say, what is the sign of your coming? What is the end of the age? What are these signs? How will we know, they're asking, that the end is drawing near? And Jesus says, there's going to be pains. In verse 6, he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events, he says, are the beginning of labor pains. So Jesus tells his disciples that things are going to get a lot worse. That evil is going to increase. That there's going to be violence. There's going to be oppression. There's going to be injustice. There's going to be warring nations. He says there's going to be death and destruction. And so don't be surprised when they happen. He says this is going to happen. And it's not like these things weren't around in Jesus' day. I mean, we know the Bible tells us that there was a great earthquake on the day that Jesus was crucified that shook the temple and tore the veil in two. When you read through the Old Testament, there's, it's filled with stories of warring between nations. And that's because the, all these things are consequences of the fall. They're all a result of sin being in the world. And sin is going to flourish until Christ returns and makes all things new. And so just like labor pains, he, 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 he likens it to labor pains in verse 8. Just like labor pains, he says these things are going to increase in intensity and frequency as the day draws near. And it's not just mankind that feels the consequences of the fall. Creation itself was impacted by sin. Just like the song we sing at Christmas every year, Joy to the World, Thorn Will Infest the Ground. There are going to be earthquakes. There's going to be natural disasters. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 21, verse 25, he says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. There will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. And we have to remember when you go to the very beginning of your Bible that God created the heaven and the earth in six days, and at the end of every day, he said that it was good. There weren't any storms, there weren't any earthquakes or natural disasters everything was perfect everything was good and sin has brought destruction even to the earth paul describes it in the book of romans in romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 18 he says i consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He says the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul says, listen, all creation is groaning in anticipation of its savior. The earth is crying out for its redemption. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And so all of these natural wonders were foretold. They were predicted. And it's all part of the fall of mankind. And all of it is pointing us to the restoration and the salvation that only comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is going to make all things new. And so Jesus tells his disciples, there's going to be pain. The second thing he says when they ask, what are the signs? Is he says, there's going to be persecution. In verse 9, he says, they're going to hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. (laughs) That was not a great pep talk, right, for the disciples, (laughs) but it was true. Every single one of them were martyred. He says, you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And so Christ's followers are going to face physical danger at times. They're going to face political danger persecution at times they're going to be ostracized from their own families at times the world is going to hate them in fact jesus says in john 15 and verse 18 if the world hates you understand that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but however because you're not of the world but i've chosen you out of it the world hates you Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. But they do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. And so that was there at the last supper before Jesus would be arrested. And he, he's telling his disciples, you need to expect this sort of treatment. This is how they treated me. And if you are bearers of my name, this is how they'll treat you. Paul testified to what Jesus is saying here. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, and beginning there in verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death, Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. 
on frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Doesn't sound like it was easy to me. And it's because the world is opposed to Christ and the kingdom of God. And if you're part of the kingdom and are living for the kingdom, then the world's going to be opposed to you. It's plain and simple. There's going to be persecution of the saints. So don't be surprised when it happens. Because Jesus told us that it would. But because of these hardships, he says there's going to be some who will turn away. In verse 10, he says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. They'll look at this and they won't think that Jesus is worth the cost. They'll love this world instead of the kingdom and, and their true colors will shine through and we'll see that they never really were with us. He says that still there will be others who will remain, but they'll, they'll grow weary and they'll grow tired. In verse 12, he says that their, their walk with God will become stale. He says, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Why? Because it's, it's easier to remain in the shadows than to stand out for Christ. There's going to be some that will try to be anonymous Christians, But all over the world, believers are counting the cost and choosing to follow Jesus. And as the church, we're going to have to decide whether we are willing to suffer to take the gospel to the nations. We're going to have to to decide whether it's worth it or not. In verse 14, Jesus tells us this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We have a lot of folks here in the church in America that are just worried. They're worried about what they're going to face. And I want to say, listen, (laughs) we have brothers and sisters in Christ that would love to face the the persecution that we're facing. This is a walk in the park. For example, in in China, in the Chinese house church movement, one author said a person isn't considered to become a pastor until he spent time in prison. Prison's the seminary training school for ministers. Only when one has suffered for Christ does the church know that you're serious about Christ. You know, it's almost weekly that we read news stories about brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are facing persecution. There are many countries that are considered closed countries because Christianity has been outlawed within its borders. Yet despite all of these dangers, Christianity is growing and thriving in these settings. And according to professors of history, They say, we have been living and we're living now in the greatest era of persecution in Christian history. 
that more Christians died for the faith in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries of Christian history combined. And the faithfulness of these martyrs inspires others to remain strong in the Lord. And it leads others to belief in Christ. The second century church leader Tertullian wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the testimony of the early church was that persecution and hardship were part of the package in following Christ. And so Jesus says there will be persecution that you'll face. The disciples come to Jesus there on the Mount of Olives. They ask him, what are the signs? What are the things that we should be looking for? And thirdly, Jesus says, they're going to be pretenders. In verse 23, he says, if anyone tells you then, see, here's the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise. They'll perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So take note, I have told you in advance, Jesus says. And so the the Lord, before he was ever crucified or resurrected, told us that there would be fakes who would come in the future and try to lead people astray. He says there's going to be false teachers. And when you read through all the New Testament epistles, you see them over and over and over again combating false teachers, combating false religions there are these groups who deny that jesus is god who deny that he died and rose again for the sin of the world who deny that jesus is the only way of salvation for mankind jesus says expect those things because satan is a great pretender and he's going to try to lead many people astray from the one true and living god So he says, don't be surprised when it happens. Many Christians even get sidetracked in focusing on some of these things, focusing on trying to identify the Antichrist, for example. Throughout my ministry, I've been asked if if Bill Clinton was the Antichrist, I've been asked if George W. Bush was the Antichrist, I've been asked if Barack Obama was the Antichrist, I've been asked if Donald Trump was the Antichrist, I've been asked if the Pope was the Antichrist, if Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist, I've been asked all these sort of questions. Give it up! (laughs) In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, writes in this letter, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it's the last hour. Now, it doesn't take a lot of English to to realize that Antichrist means against Christ. And so there are many teachings, many teachers who are against Christ. And what John tells us in his letter is that the the key is to test a belief based on what it holds about Jesus. He says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2, this is how you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it's already in the world. And the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist is already prevalent in the world. This isn't a shock to believers. I mean, we, we know that the world is opposed to Christ. We know that the world denies that Jesus is the Christ. And we know that there are various religions and teachers that try to, uh, to uh, teach us that Jesus isn't what the Bible teaches us who he is. But if Christians spend as much time telling people about the Christ as we did in trying to figure out who is the Antichrist, we'd be in a lot better shape. And that's really what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand here in Matthew's gospel. When he tells them, do not believe it, and I'm telling you in advance. (laughs) He's telling them, stay focused. (laughs) Don't get sidetracked. Don't don't get led astray. He says, there's going to be all these fakes. They're going to say this, they're going to say that, but don't pay attention to those things. Remain firm in Christ and in his word. This isn't going to lead us astray. He says, but there will be pretenders. And so be on the lookout. But amid all of these signs, what Jesus is telling us here is that we have to hold firm to Christ's promises. In verse 30, Jesus says, then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they'll see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And so Jesus makes a promise to his disciples here. They're there on the mountaintop. They're obviously concerned or they wouldn't have asked Jesus these questions. And so Jesus makes this promise here to them. And he says, I'm going to return again for my followers. He says, you're not going to be abandoned. Darkness will not win. So stay strong and remain faithful. And when things start to look scary, trust in Jesus' promises. When I was a youth pastor, I had a boy in my youth group that became obsessed with the book of Revelation. Like he would sit in the church services every single week and just read Revelation over and over again. Doesn't matter what passage we were preaching about, like he just would sit there and read it over and over and over again. And it was this curiosity, but also this sort of anxiousness, this worry about the things that he was reading and trying to understand in the book of Revelation. And there's a lot of Christians that are the same way. The whole point of the book of Revelation is not to scare us to death. It's to show us that nothing has caught God by surprise. (laughs) That no matter what hardships the church is facing, we see how it's all going to work out. And so Revelation isn't intended to scare us, it's intended to strengthen us. 
And the same is true in this passage here, Matthew 24. God knows about the pains and the persecutions and the pretenders. None of this has caught him by surprise. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh no, what am I going to do now? So don't worry and and don't fret. He's saying to us, have faith and not fear. Trust in God's promises. At the end of this passage, verse 35, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So instead of becoming anxious, we can rest. Instead of becoming fearful, we can have peace because Jesus' words will never pass away. And so in all of these signs, we're not to be dismayed. I get it, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be afraid, but we have a faithful savior who is the king of kings and who is the Lord of lords, who is sovereign over all of creation and there is no power on earth that is too formidable. There is no military who is too strong. There is no government who is too oppressive. There is no country that is too closed because he has defeated death and hell. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent and he says that he's going to stand with us and that he's going to go before us and he's promised us, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. He's promised us, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. He's promised us, there's no one who is able to snatch us out of his hands. He's promised us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's promised us, I will come again and take you to where I am. In John 16, 33, he says, I've told you all these things. So that in me you would have peace. He says, you'll have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I've conquered this world. And so trust in his promises. So Christians today, I want to encourage you to not be ruled by worry. To not allow headlines or hardships or disasters, or dates to rule your life, but instead to trust in the promises of God. And so maybe during this time of response, you wanna spend some time there in your seat or even here at this altar saying, God, I confess that I've been anxious. God, I confess that I've been worried, but today I want to trust you. I wanna put my faith in your promises. There are some today who need to settle their future with God. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we do know that he will return. And so are you going to be ready for that day? And the only way that you'll be ready for the day that Jesus talked about, the day that he comes riding on the clouds and his angels go out to the ends of the earth blowing the trumpets, is if you have repented of your sin and been forgiven of your sin. That the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross has washed you clean 
and you've been born again into the kingdom of God. And there may be some across this room need to make that decision this morning. There may be some that are watching online with us that need to make this decision today, right now. And so I wanna encourage you as we have this time of response, you can step out and grab one of our leaders that'll be across the back of the sanctuary. I'll be here at the front. Now you're welcome to come and speak with me. You can pick up your phone and you can text the word decide to the number 865-234-3241 and let us know via text that this is the decision that you wanna make. If you're at home watching, we wanna encourage you to do that and let us know that this is a decision that you wanna make in your heart today and we'll follow back up with you. But however God is speaking to your heart right now, it's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you that even though we see pretenders and persecutions and pains all around, God, when even in the last few weeks there's been so much online and questions and fears about these things, God, that we can trust in your promises, that you are faithful and true, that you are a firm foundation, you are a solid rock upon which we can stand. And God, our hope isn't in signs, our hope isn't in things that are happening on this earth, Lord, our hope is in you. And we look to you for strength, and for perseverance in these days. And so God, I pray that you would be with us this day to encourage us, to strengthen us, or to build up our faith. And Lord, if there are any here that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would settle this issue, that they would recognize that they have sinned against you and they need to be forgiven, and that they'll trust in Jesus' death and in his resurrection as their hope as their life, as their salvation. We pray these things in his name, amen.